0: Welcome to Done & Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you so much for joining me today as we continue our investigation into what is the real Palm Beach. Before we begin our episode today, which has so many twists and turns, I do have a spyglass here to give some enormous thanks and praise To our newest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done. Thank you. Thank you. Linda S. Jody C. Adrian M. And Andrea M. Holy cats. Y'all are the very, very best. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your support. I hope you are enjoying all of your bonus goodies and not done yet over there. So glad to have you as part of that community. And so glad you all are here with us today because in this episode, within our month of February Palm Beach Chronicles series. We're going to take a little tour back into 1985, connecting billionaire Armand Hammer, the Prince and Princess of Wales at this time in 1985, that would be Charles and Diana, and one of the real Palm Beach Grand Doms, Mary Duncan Sanford, in one heck of a story. This is only one of the stories that Dominic Dunn gets a piece of Within his visit to Palm Beach in 1986, today we're going to reveal the whole tale in this story from that one thread that just might surprise you about the real Palm Beach. Let's investigate. In our man Nick's piece for Vanity Fair in April of 1986, The Women of Palm Beach, Dominic Dunn will write more about his journey into, what did he call it, fantasy land. Here with a little vocal talent assist from our friend Nancy, let us begin.
1: Everybody who writes about Palm Beach always gets it wrong.
0: Said a very grand lady to me during a party on my first day there. She stared down at the silver platter of Nachi that was being served to her, shook her head no to the maid, changed her mind,
1: and took a minuscule portion. They come down here, these writers, stay too short a time, don't get to the Bath and Tennis Club or the Everglades, never meet anyone except all those old dragons who love publicity and aren't Palm Beach at all. And then they go back to wherever they're from and think they're authorities in Palm Beach and write the most awful things about us. Did you ever see that English television show they did? I mean, really. None of us even knew who those grotesques were they interviewed for that show. And it's always like that. Not one person was real. Palm Beach. Just who is and who
0: isn't, the quote-unquote real Palm Beach, is a recurring theme in Palm Beach conversations. The grand lady, her morsel of nachi consumed, lit a cigarette and threw back her head as she exhaled as if to stress how the journalistic portrayals of her winter resort annoyed her. She was tanned and slender and pretty, wore a print silk dress, pearls, and a straw hat, and would, when this lunch was over, play bridge until dinner.
1: The trouble is, she continued, that everyone thinks
0: Roxanne Pulitzer is Palm Beach. She pronounced the name Roxanne Pulitzer with an intonation that let you know in no uncertain terms Exactly
1: what she thought of that person, which wasn't much. She's not Palm Beach and never was. And none of us ever saw Roxanne and Peter even before that horrible divorce. They were always with the Kimberleys. And that's a different group entirely. And as for Mr. Armand Hammer, please. Investigators,
0: I want you to put that Pulitzer drama in your back pocket. We will be covering all of it this month. But I want to follow up in this story with that last bit.
1: And as for Mr. Armand Hammer, please.
0: Dunn will continue writing. Mr. Armand Hammer, the chairman of the Board of Occidental Petroleum, won the eternal enmity of most of the real Palm Beach for his high-handed treatment of them when he presided over a charity ball during the visit of Prince Charles and Princess Diana to the resort last November the real Palm Beach boycotted the affair. Really? The real Palm Beach boycotts the Prince and Princess of Wales visiting their town? Rebellion over the Windsors from the establishment? What is the story on this one? The date this visit occurs, November the 12th, 1985. Charles and Diana, the then Prince and Princess of Wales, had a less than 24-hour period to visit Palm Beach, just 21 hours. This stop is the final stop on the first United States trip made by Prince Charles and his very, very sweet young princess. The visit actually consists of four days. It occurs from November the 9th to the 12th. This is a Saturday to Tuesday in 1985. Just backing up the bus, let's remember Charles and Diana marry in July of 1981. This is four and a half years into their marriage. Both of their boys are born and are toddlers. And Charles is coming over with his new bride for a very successful tour. He wants to do a little goodwill and stuff. And well, you know, Diana, she's worthy of some attention, And the first stop is not to Palm Beach. That's our last stop. Our first stop is to the Ronald Reagan White House. This is the legendary night that Princess Diana dances with John Travolta. No one is prepared for Diana's impact on the United States. But all of this does get into Dominic Dunn's investigation of the real Palm Beach. Let's take a little journey down memory lane and fold in a few items from this one thread and turn it into a tapestry. Again, the royal couple spends three days in Washington, D.C. before they even make it to Palm Beach. What a legendary weekend. I'm taking this next right up here. It's kind of amazing to wander down memory lane from the court jeweler. Again, all sources are available at doneanddone.com if you're looking for additional sources recommended reading. Big thanks to the court jeweler for this one in a piece called The Night Princess Diana Wowed at the White House. Remember, this night was November the 9th, 1985. The Prince and Princess of Wales had touched down in Maryland earlier in the day, and they made their way straight to the White House to meet with President and Mrs. Reagan. This trip was Diana's first visit to the United States. It is hard to believe she was only 24 at the time. Nancy Reagan, though, wasn't a totally unfamiliar figure. She had attended the couple's royal wedding in London four years earlier. Following an afternoon of engagements in Washington, the couple attended a gala dinner at the White House. The event wasn't a formal state dinner, as this wasn't a state visit, but rather a private dinner for 80 invited guests. Both of the royals were a little tired. They had just flown to Washington via Hawaii after a 10-day tour of Australia. Can you imagine how jet-lagged they were? Regardless, both Nancy and Diana went for full glam. Diana wore an iconic midnight blue velvet gown by Victor Edelstein, while Nancy chose a white beaded James Galliano's gown which she had worn earlier in the year for the inaugural celebrations. Charles and Diana posed with the Reagans for a formal photograph on the North Portico before joining the rest of the guests for dinner. The guest list for this particular dinner was a real stunner. Singers? Neil Diamond, Beverly Sills, Leontine Price. Actors? John Travolta, Clint Eastwood, Tom Selleck, Peter Ustinoff. Artists, David Hockney, Helen Frankenhalter, Jamie Wythe. Dancers, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Suzanne Farrell. Famous figures from the world of fashion and beauty, Gloria Vanderbilt, Estee Lauder, Norman Parkinson, Betsy Bloomingdale. Athletes, Dorothy Hamill, Steve Lundquist. And the fabulously wealthy, Brooke Astor, Malcolm Forbes. Rupert Hambro, Drew Hines, and there was another royal woman there as well, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan, the daughter of Prince Ali Khan, and the actress Rita Hayworth. Holy cats! Those are the 80 guests. It doesn't stop there, though. Those names alone would make for a fantastic party, but there were also some fascinating other additions. Peter Euberoth, the MLB commissioner who also organized the 1984 Summer Olympics, was there. So was Marine explorer Jacques Cousteau, who had recently received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Cousteau would have had a whole lot to discuss with another attendee, Robert Ballard, who had discovered the wreck of the Titanic just a few weeks earlier. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Dr. Jonas Salk, the inventor of the polio vaccine, was there, as was the astronaut Alan Shepard, who walked on the moon in 1971. I'm not even done with the guest list for this one. Other attendees included I.M. Pei, the famous architect who had just recently designed the Louvre Pyramid, author Larry McMurdy, who had just published Lonesome Dove. He attended, but Larry McMurdy almost wasn't allowed inside by the security guards as they didn't recognize him. There was one other guest here, William Stamps Farish III, the owner of Land's End Farm in Kentucky, was very familiar with the royal family. He got in okay. The queen had stayed at the Farish Farm the previous year during a rare private vacation. The guests are seated in the state dining room The tables being set with the Reagan Presidential China and the Kennedy Crystal. Guests dined on lobster mousseline and Maryland crab with horseradish sauce, followed by glazed chicken, capsicum, brown rice and garden vegetables, and a jicama salad with herbed cheese and croutons. Dessert was a peach sorbet basket with champagne sauce. A trio of wines from Napa Valley finished off the menu. Y'all, close your eyes and just imagine the scene. Now we're going to amp it up a little bit in levels here because we are reading from the court jeweler. So, you know, we're going to talk about some jewels here. Diana's jewelry was especially visible in photographs from the receiving line. In one of the photos posted, she greets Tom Selleck. And in it, you'll note that she wears her famous seven-stranded pearl choker necklace with the large sapphire and diamond clasp. That clasp was originally a brooch given to Diana as a wedding present by the Queen Mother and could still be removed and worn in its original form. Diana also wears her sapphire cabochon and diamond earrings, as well as a diamond and sapphire bracelet worn over her evening glove on her left wrist. Neil Diamond is going to take over the microphone after dinner, He will do some impromptu renditions of You Don't Send Me Flowers and September Morn. Leontine Price, the famed soprano who had just concluded her iconic career with the Metropolitan Opera in New York. She will sing selections by Puccini and Gershwin, finishing with the spiritual Every Time I Feel the Spirit. Music for dancing, you know that has to happen, was provided by the Marine Orchestra, the Army Strolling Strings, and the Marine Dance Band. A report from United Press International noted that Charles and Diana are avid dancers. Princess Diana will dance with President Reagan. She's also photographed dancing with several other of the famous attendees, including Tom Selleck and Clint Eastwood. But, of course, the most famous moment of all was when Diana's dance with Saturday Night Fever actor John Travolta happened. The Edelstein dress swirled beautifully as Travolta escorted her around the dance floor at midnight. As they danced, the band played selections from the soundtracks of Travolta's films, including You're the One That I Want from Greece. Nancy Reagan's press secretary told the Washington Post that the young princess and the famous actor shared a dance that, quote, was certainly more energetic than a foxtrot. I don't know what you'd call it, rock or whatever, unquote. Nancy Reagan herself had apparently orchestrated that moment after hearing that Travolta was one of Diana's favorite actors. She had tapped Travolta on the shoulder and, quietly suggested that he should ask the princess for a dance. After the party, Travolta told the reporters that Diana was, quote-unquote, charming, adding that he found her refreshing and down-to-earth. As for dancing, he praised her, quote, style and rhythm. During a press conference the following day, when questions were raised about whether the princess had enjoyed the dance, she simply nodded. In an interview years later, Travolta summed up the experience. Think of the setting. We were at the White House. It's midnight. The stage is like a dream. Important to note here that First Lady Nancy Reagan is an enormous friend of Dominic Dunn's. She's also an enormous friend of Betsy Bloomingdale. All of these will weave into future investigations. You'll be surprised where Nancy Reagan shows up. So after this phenomenal White House dinner party, the couple has a few more days in Washington. They have a nonstop schedule. Remember that Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan are Hollywood people after all. They have set up a beautifully orchestrated, almost like a movie studio, weekend For the prince and princess. They go to the National Gallery for an exhibit. There's a visit to a shopping mall in Virginia, which brings thousands of people. Princess Diana, in this visit to DC, steals the show. She steals our hearts. There's math at the cathedral on Sunday. It's truly a phenomenal success of a weekend. But now it's almost time to go home, but we have less than a day in our itinerary before. You know, flying back across the pond. Whatever shall we do with our time? You know, Prince Charles likes the horses. Prince Charles also has a good friend in billionaire Armand Hammer. Why not take a little detour to Palm Beach? And it's in our final little bit of a day here, just 21 hours that the prince and princess spend in Palm Beach. Oh, y'all, there's so much more. Charles and Diana stay less than a day, but the real and unreal Palm Beach are still talking about it because Dominic Dunn is writing about it a year and a few months later. This is by Jeff Bader from United Press International, November 12th, 1985. Prince Charles and Princess Diana dazzled Palm Beach Tuesday on the polo field And at a charity ball tainted by some socialite snubs and revelations, an organizer had posed nude for a British magazine. Yeah, y'all didn't see that coming, did ya? Whoa, holy cats, the story. Diana arrived at the ball at the Breakers Hotel wearing a slim-fitting pale pink velvet evening gown that was backless to the waist, leading one fashion consultant to predict that style would become the latest rage. Diana sets the trend, said consultant Lynn Hodges. Backless dresses will be in now. As the prince and princess emerged from a limousine to greet billionaire host Armand Hammer, celebrity guests jammed the main entranceway to get a glimpse of the royal couple. Outside, about 50 onlookers were kept away from the main gate, and policemen patrolled the grounds with explosive sniffing dogs. Charles and Diana winged into West Palm Beach International Airport at 12.30 p.m. EST Tuesday, aboard a Royal Air Force VC-10, to greetings from Governor Bob Graham and other dignitaries. well wishers waved Union Jacks and American flags and clicked cameras as the 24-year-old princess, wearing a pinstripe skirt and jacket, accepted several bouquets of flowers. The couple was then whisked to the Palm Beach Polo and Country Club for a private reception before Charles joined the winning Palm Beach team in a polo match against an all-star team. The prince, who turns 37 Thursday, was greeted by a chorus of happy birthday when he ducked into a tent to mop his brow during halftime. The last time Charles played at the club in 1980, he was hospitalized for heat exhaustion. He came through Tuesday's match unscathed and joined teammates in accepting a silver and porcelain winner's trophy from the princess. The climax of the royal couple's Palm Beach visit was the black tie ball, which included a seven-course meatless dinner. The couple who visited Washington earlier in the week will leave for London Wednesday morning. Ball guests included Her Majesty the Sultan of Oman, and Mr. and Mrs. Malcolm Forbes deemed benefactors because they paid $25,000 each for the chance to sit near the royal couple's table. Not at, near, y'all, near. But they're not the only guests at this party, naturally. Continuing from UPI, among the patrons paying $5,000 a plate and seated a bit farther back were Mr. and Mrs. Cary Grant, Mr. and Mrs. Bob Hope, Mr. and Mrs. Ted Turner, Mr. and Mrs. Gregory Peck, and Governor and Mrs. Edmund Brown. If you're asking, this would be Cary Grant's last wife, Barbara, and our Mrs. Ted Turner here is not Jane Fonda at this point. Ted Turner and Jane Fonda will not marry until 1991, just a few years after this visit. Okay, now this is the part where it gets juicy, y'all. Whoa, 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 the real Palm Beach, right? Because what had done right, the real Palm Beach does not attend this party. Continuing from UPI. Oh, y'all aren't even ready. This visit was marred by reports that Palm Beachers were snubbing the ball and by revelations that the ball's organizer, Patricia Cluge, had posed nude for a fleshy British magazine in the 1970s. Patricia resigned as national co-chairwoman of the ball and reported that she would be traveling abroad during the visit. The crowning blow came when the Palm Beach chairwoman of the ball, Mary Sanford, decided days before the ball she would have nothing to do with it and called the Kluge incident hideous. Let's unpack that. Here's a ball. Prince and princess coming to Palm Beach. Mary Sanford, the chairwoman of the ball, quits the ball and will not attend. And all of the rest of Palm Beach follows in her stead, leaving poor Patricia Kluge having to leave the country because of pictures that were taken 20 years before. Can you imagine? That's not even the most ironic part. Here's the most ironic part. Mary Duncan Sanford is a fine one to talk. Mary Duncan is a country girl from Virginia. She does quite well for herself in life. Mary Duncan was born August 13th, 1894. She will attend Cornell University for a time when a lot of Ivy League schools do not admit women, but she won't finish there because Mary's got other things to do. Mary is going to go in the mid-1920s to have a career as an actress. Yeah, gonna star in a bunch of films, be a Hollywood star. But her Hollywood career ends in 1933, Mary Duncans does, when she will marry Playboy carpet heir, Stephen Sanford, also known as Laddie. Let me give you a little bit on Laddie here. Laddie Sanford, he and Mary were introduced, you know, By Mary's friend, Marion Davies, at a polo match. Mary's not Laddie's first love, though. Laddie had also fooled around a little bit with Edwina Mountbatten back in the day. Laddie loves horses of all kinds. Not just polo horses, but thoroughbred horses, fox hunts. He's all about the horses. And probably kind of an easy life for Laddie when you have inherited wealth and are also the director of the Bigelow Sanford Company again, playboy carpet heir, Laddie Sanford. So Mary and Laddie marry back in 1933 and and Mary sort of sets Palm Beach on its edge a little bit too when she comes. She's not inherited Palm Beach money, but I guess Mary now having a good solid five decades to prove her stance in the Grand Dame category of Palm Beach feels confident enough to quit the ball, resign her charity thing, and snub the whole thing and take the rest of the real Palm Beach with her. I mean, and no wonder Mary and Laddie spend their winters entertaining everybody. She's really part of the scene. Social luminaries. Go to Mary Sanford's house, including the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, the Maharaja of Jaipur, Marjorie Merriweather Post, as well as the junior senator from Massachusetts. You know him as John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy is the son of Mary Sanford's best friend, Rose Kennedy. Y'all, nothing's linear. Everything is connected. Catching up on our story, Mary Sanford boycotts the ball, the real Palm Beach is out, Patricia Cluge is overseas, the UPI will continue about this visit. Charles seemed aware that the visit had ruffled a few feathers. He asked West Palm Beach Mayor Carol Roberts at the airport if she was attending the ball. I said yes, and he said, aren't you brave to come, Roberts said. Organizers, however, proclaimed the ball a smashing success, saying it had raised $4 million for the United World College's double the goal, which is truly fantastic. The couple, Charles and Diana, will depart the next morning from Palm Beach, homeward bound, but all of that whole dish was too good not to unpack and include in our Palm Beach Chronicles, along with one Maybe two other little bits here. I want to talk just about the super, super close connection between Prince Charles, now King Charles III, and billionaire Armand Hammer. Probably more currently in our day, we know about Armand Hammer's lineage, Army Hammer. It's not who we're talking about today. Today it is the Occidental Petroleum Magnet, Armand Hammer. Pulling this piece from Bustle.com, just to unpack this relationship just a little bit, Armand Hammer, naturally the Occidental Petroleum magnate's wealth, put him in close contact with world leaders. Politically, this meant that Armand, being Senator Al Gore's senior's close friend per Vanity Fair, and getting invited to the presidential inaugurations for Franklin D. Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, the last of whom pardoned him for making illegal contributions, quote-unquote, to Richard Nixon's reelection campaign, reported the New York Times. Armand has also been photographed with the Kennedys, but it is Princess Diana and Prince Charles that are super big in the connections of Armand Hammer. Continuing from bustle, According to royal biographer Anthony Holden, Armand and Charles had a close relationship rooting in money and influence. Quote, Charles succumbed to the blandishments of the late Armand Hammer in return for huge donations to his causes, unquote. Holden wrote for The Guardian in 2003. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that Armand donated more than $40 million to Charles's favorite charities during the 1970s and 80s. Prince Charles's representatives have commented that decisions to accept charitable donations are taken by the trustees of the Prince of Wales Charitable Fund, which carries out its own due diligence. However, Prince Charles and Armand's friendship appears to be even more than these generous contributions. Holden will add in that Guardian piece. Charles even wanted to make Hammer godfather to Prince William, but Princess Diana will refuse this idea. And Armand does not become William's godfather, but he did get to enjoy the perks of having royal friends like when Charles and Diana attend a 1985 Palm Beach Ball in his honor. Armand will tell the Sun Sentinel about Charles and Diana. They started dancing and we were all so surprised they did so well. I think they could easily be ballroom dancers. Diana certainly ballroom danced her way through the United States. There is the unpacking of that story with maybe one more thread. Let's talk about Patricia Cluge in this story and whatever they said the scandal was. Patricia Kluge at the time is married to John Kluge. This is in 1985 when this ball happens. But Patricia and John do divorce in 1990, wherein Patricia will get a huge divorce settlement, $100 million. She will also receive she and John's home, Albemarle, and here Patricia will open a winery that unfortunately goes bankrupt, but gets a little bit of investment and is now known as Donald Trump's winery. And certainly Patricia and Donald Trump know each other from Palm Beach because Donald Trump is soon to make a splash into this story as well. Coming after, we talk about the Kennedys in Palm Beach. Y'all, there's so much, so many layers of money and wealth and privilege coming in our Palm Beach Chronicles this month. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me today In our quest to discover what is the real Palm Beach. I appreciate you listening and your support with your kind emails, your reviews, your support on Patreon. You being here. Y'all are simply the best. And guess what? We're not even done for today. For all my Patreon peeps, keep playing on. We got a little done drop for you about the jewelry auction of Mary Sanford. Kind of a fun story there. Again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Until we meet again sooner than you know, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done Podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com